Now, Abram is mentioned, firstly he's called Abram in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 7, where Nehemiah speaks about the Sorry about that. Where Nehemiah speaks about the call of Abraham. God called Abram. Thou art Yahweh, which is the name of God. Thou art Yahweh, the God who did choose Abram and brought him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham. So when we look at that word call, it means to test, to take a keen look at. So Abraham was a man who lived right back in the era of the Chaldees in ancient Babylon, but there was something about Abraham that caused God to look at him keenly and to call him. And we're going to try and explore some of those ideas this afternoon. His name was Abram, which means father of height, and there is some suggestion that that name was connected with the ancient worship of the Babylonians. Not that, that uh, Abram was a worshipper himself, I believe, of the false gods, but it was a name that his family would give him. It was called Abraham, Abram, which means father or height. Later on in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 17, he, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a nation or father of a multitude, which has a lot to do with the promises that God made about Abraham and his seed, which we shall see a little bit later. But just where does Abraham fit into the history of the Bible? The first 11 chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 11, brings us to, and introduces us chapter 11, to Abraham. That in fact covers 2,000 years of Bible history in 11 chapters. The rest of the Bible history, which covers another 2,000 years, Genesis 12 to 22, also covers 2,000 years of history. So we don't have a lot of information between the creation and when we get to Abram, 2,000 years of history, but we've got a lot of information after Abram. So Abraham becomes quite a, a central figure in God's purpose in the Bible and a central figure in Bible teaching. That's why I put his name right there in the middle. In the chapter of Genesis 1 to 11, there was a development of the seed of a, of a body of people known as the seed of the woman, people who adhered to and listened to and followed God's word. But there was also the development of another uh, body of people called the seed of the serpent, who chose to reject God's way and listen to the, the words of the lie that came out of the serpent's mouth. And so they became the seed of the serpent. After Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, God gave a plan that he would develop a godly nation from Abraham. Prior to this time, there really were no nations on the earth. Genesis chapter 10 is the first mention of nations. But then from Genesis chapter 11 right through to the end of the Bible, we've got the, the development of a godly nation or a godly seed, if you like, the Israelitish nation and a godly seed. You've also got the development of, of a nation from Babel or Babylon, which became Babylon great, which is mentioned in, in, the, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So that has a figure, it runs as the, uh, through the history of the Bible, so we've got the seed of the woman continues on in the Bible, but we've also got the seed of the serpent as the Babylonian teachings also developed from Babylon in the Bible. But Abraham, once again, is the centre of all that. 
a very important figure in the Bible. Now you might have realised this, but there's only two people that separate Abram from Adam. I mean, there were a lot of people in between, but there were two people that we can just put up on the screen. There was Adam, he overlapped Methuselah by 243 years, and Methuselah overlapped Shem by 98 years, and Shem overlapped Abram by 150 years. So what we've got here is we've got Abram was able to talk to Shem, and Shem was able to say to Abraham, well look, before the flood, this is what the earth was like, and this is what the people were like, and this is what the nations were trying to do. And Shem would be able to say to Abraham, well I spoke to Methuselah, and Methuselah, well he spoke to Adam. And uh, it was 2,000 years that men lived for many, for many years in those days, but it's very interesting that only two people separate Adam from Abraham. And that God had maintained a godly seed, people who feared God's word right down through that time. Now I've got an artist's impression there of, of the uh, sketch on set from the ruins of the city of Babylon, which was a, a great city built on the Euphrates River. Uh, for its time, very modern. Uh, water supply system, you can see they have what the, a building there called a ziggurat, which they worship their gods in. The name Ur of the city means flame in the sense of a light giver. Maybe there was a great flame burning on the top of one of those buildings. It was the city of the moon god, so it was a, it was a paganised city. And it was here, we're told in the Bible, that Abram's family worshipped idols. So we read in the book of Joshua, and Joshua said unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood. That means on the other side of the Euphrates. The Euphrates River was referred to as the flood. Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the whole time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Now I believe that passage is saying that Abram's forebears and father worshipped other gods, but not necessarily Abram. Abram was a man who stood out for some reason, which I'm going to bring to you very shortly, and God called him that he might be a man that God would work his purpose through. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus claims that Abram was promised proclaimed the doctrine of one God in Ur. Now, that wouldn't have gone over very well in Ur. Uh, his teaching was in contrast to the many gods that were set forth in that city. And like Josephus claims, and we don't have exact historical records for this, but Josephus claims that Abram was ostracised because of his religious beliefs in Ur. The scripture is clear that Abram's <coughs> first call came while he was in Ur. In that city, God called him. And we read this in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it tells us where Stephen is making a, a speech to all of those who opposed him. And he says, men and brethren, and fathers hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Caran or Haran, and said unto him, get out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. So God had promised Abraham a land that he would give to him, and he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. When it says that the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, that word appear means a visible display of divine presence. Now we don't know for sure, but in some way God 
there was a divine presence when God appeared to Abraham. Whether it was an angel, some way God in a vision appeared to Abraham and gave him this message. Why would God, why would God call on a man living in a, in a pagan city, fully pagan city, and call him out? There had to be some characteristic about Abraham that interested God. In fact, there's a question. I say, why did Yahweh, which is God's name, choose Abraham living in all places in this city of idolatry? <coughs> well, the scriptures tell us that God looks at people. It says that for all those things hath my hand made, and all those things hath been said the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. And those words were recorded in the book of Isaiah. But the principle remains. God looked at Abram living in that city because he had some characteristic, I believe. He, and I believe he worshipped God. And I'm going to establish for you what I believe that Abraham was doing. He became the father of the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel and will become the father of a multitude. So it would be through Abraham that a nation would be formed conforming to God's ways. Now just make the point here, at the time of Abraham, Genesis chapter 11, the Bible's where it's mentioned. In Genesis chapter 10, you've got the first mention of nations in the Bible. 2,000 years of world's history, and nations start to develop. You've got a man called Nimrod and his wife Semiramis, who, who built cities and who became powerful men and powerful systems that started to develop on the earth. And nations started to develop on the earth. God was going to use this man to develop a nation that was different to all the other nations. He was going to develop a godly nation, so he called this man to make promises to him. And so when we come to the Tower of Babel, which is mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, the ambition of the men of Babel had been to make a name for themselves. They wanted to become a great nation. God came down, sent the angels down, uh, confounded their tongues, and they were divided. So God was now going to do for one man who trusted him over the years, he was going to establish a principle and eventually a kingdom that would be a godly kingdom. So when we look at that part of the earth, which the, the archaeologists tell us is called the cradle of the earth, the nations began to develop after the flood, which was in, recorded in Genesis chapter 6. There were three sons that were born to Noah that survived through the flood with their wives. There was Japheth, the firstborn, Shem, the secondborn, and Ham, the third son. We understand from the scriptures that the Gentile nations came from Japheth. The Semitic nations, the Arab peoples, the Jewish peoples, come through the Shem, and through Ham came the other races of the world. Shem was the second born. He's not the first born. It tells us that in the scriptures. And yet God, God normally chooses the first born in many things, but he chose the second born. Why was it that God chose the second son? Well, the scriptural principle. The principle is that is not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, afterward that which is spiritual. The spiritual son, the spiritual seed, was to come through Shem, the descendants of Shem. And so through Shem, we've got 
in the line of Shem. He was the twelfth from Noah. He has a descendant called Eber. We read all this in Genesis chapter 10. Eber was, is the root word for Hebrew. He was the father of the Hebrew nation. He had two sons called Pelate and Joktan. Pelate means divided, because, and the scripture tells us that in Genesis chapter 10, verse 25. He says, for in Pelate's day, the, nation, the earth was divided. It doesn't mean that the earth split in half. It means that the peoples of the earth were divided into, into nations. There was to be a godly seed, the seed of the woman, and there was going to be the seed of the serpent. So God was, he was starting to work with the nations. He was using this man Shem. He was using the descendants of Shem that Abraham would come through. And the earth was divided. There was going to be a special people that God would work through. And that was through the Shemites and through the Israelites. <coughs> In Genesis chapter 10, there are 70 other nations given, and 70 is the number of the Gentile nations. <coughs> when we look at the development of those nations in Genesis chapter 10, the nations were divided. There was Peleg. Peleg had a son called Tiran, who moved to Ur, and Abram was born in Ur, we believe, and he was the one who was to become the father of many nations. God had promised him that in contradistinction to what was going on around him when other nations, nations of men were developing, there was going to be another nation developed. God had scattered them, as I mentioned previously, in the Tower of Babel. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to show to you why it was, I believe, that God called Abraham, or Abram in Ur of the Chaldees. But to do that, we're going to have to look at a passage in our Bibles which is in Exodus chapter 12. So if you join me, please, in Exodus chapter 12. that all the host of the Lord went up out of the land of Egypt. 
It is a night to be remembered, a much to be observed unto the Lord, for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. So it was 430 years, it says, from when? Well, I believe it was 430 years from the call of Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. Let's just see if we can establish that now. Because it says it was to the self-same day. So we're going to start right at the end of the line to continue to start with. The night of the part now, that night when Israel came out of Egypt was the Passover night. And for those of you who know, it was the 14th of Nisan. Interestingly enough, they then left and after three days journey on the 17th of Nisan, they arrived at the shore of the Red Sea to cross the Red Sea. Tells us that in, in Numbers 33 verse 5. Just want you to tuck that away and remember that. So they left on the 14th of Nisan. They were in Egypt, we can calculate, for 225 years and they were in Canaan for 205 years. There's the 430 years. What happened at the beginning, at the end of that 430, the beginning of that 430 years? Well, I believe the God of glory called Abram in Ur of the Chaldees. Was it on the self-same day? Well, I believe it was. There was Abram was doing something special on this day, and 430 years later on, they came out, as Exodus chapter 12 says, on the self-same day. But my mind continuum goes back. It goes right back to the time of the flood. The ark rested in Genesis chapter 6 on the 17th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan, it was still on the water. The 17th of Nisan was the same day the children of Israel came down to the Red Sea. So the 14th of Nisan. So when the ark rested and Abram came out of the ark, he offered a sacrifice. And I believe that Abram was commemorating that sacrifice, remembering that sacrifice in Ur of the Chaldees when the God of glory appeared to him. Approximately 350 years later that was. So it was a time of new beginnings when they were saved by water. It's interesting that when we come 430 years to the end of that continuum, there was going to be a time of new beginnings on the same date, the 17th of Nisan, 430 years later, to the self-same day, a time of new beginnings, though again be saved by water. Well, what was Abram doing? Abram, well, it suggests that Abram began his journey on the 14th day of Nisan, 430 years before. And I believe that he was offering. He was commemorating the resting, the coming to rest of the ark because that information would have been passed down through, through Shem. And Shem would have said, my father did this. Abraham would have carried that line on. God had looked at a man who feared his word and Abram was now called. So God had called Abraham specifically for a reason and now he, he, on a specific day he came out of Ur of the Chaldees and started his journey. And that's where we're going to start our journey now with Abraham. So here he is, here's the map. There's Ur of the Chaldees <coughs> where Abraham was called. And he was 70 years of age when God called him. I'm 75 years of age. So a little bit younger than I am. And uh, he travelled he travelled up to Haran. Now that, that's up the Euphrates River where they went up on a boat with all the good. But he travelled up there with his family, with his father, and he went up to the place called Charan in Acts 7 or Haran in the Old Testament. And there he stayed for five years, and uh, we're told that all that we're told in that passage in Acts chapter 7, where that God called him in her. 
from Haran, Abraham then moved and he crossed that river. You can see that river there in blue, which is Euphrates. And by the way, he became a Hebrew because the word Hebrew means a crosser over. And so they crossed the other side of the flood. He crossed over the, the river Euphrates and he came down because God had said he would bring him into a land right back in and Ur and said he would give him the land. He didn't know where he was going, but he came down into the land of Canaan. At 75 years, he came out. We're told that in Genesis chapter 12, because it says, now the Lord had said, notice that word, had, God had said it to him right back in Ur, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. Here's the nation. The other nations were being developed around the world, in, in the world, the Gentile nations, but God's going to make a great nation through Abraham. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And that hasn't happened yet. No, families haven't been blessed through Abraham yet. So we're told that when Abraham was 75 and he comes down to the land of Canaan, he comes to a place called Shechem, and there he builds an altar. Well, why did he build an altar? Because he was used to building altars. He built an altar, I believe, right back in the Gold East and worshipped God there. He built another altar here. And here, the land, God says, now this is the land that I'm going to give to you. He says, I'm going to give you this land. And I'm going to give you this land forever, he says. Right in the middle of the land of Canaan. We're told that he moved from Shechem then, moved his tent, and he came down to a place called Bethel. And he had Bethel on the west, we're told, and Hai on the east. He, he camped in between these two places. He camped between Bethel, means the house of God, and the place of ruin. He, he just left the place of ruin, Ur of the Chaldees, Babylon, and now he was coming to the house of God, where God would dwell with him. So he, he set up his tent there. And there God said that there was a famine in the land. I think I missed the promise there. Let's go back. No. Was a and Abraham makes the mistake of going down, as you see there, he goes down in the land of Egypt. Now that was a, a retrograde step. He went down in his life into Egypt got himself into trouble with his wife because he asked his wife to say that she was his sister. Well, she was his half-sister. Now, she was a beautiful woman. He was 75 years of age. She was, she was uh, 70 years of age. And she was a, a beautiful woman. And the Egyptians spied her and they took her. But Abraham, with the help of God, was able to get out of that. And he returned back to where he camped before. And there God made another promise to Abraham. He said, And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle because the Egyptians had given him those cattle in silver and gold. And he went on his journey from the south to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been before. And there, in Genesis chapter 13, he's promised this land now forever. And so when he gets back there, God says, now lift up thine eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. All the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it to, to, to thy seed, and I'll make thy seed. And all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it, 
and to thy seed forever, and I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Abram moved down to Hebron from Bethel. He was 85 years of age at this point in time. Now God tells him, he expands the promise again to him after another five years while he's living at Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. He now was becoming in more close fellowship. He was walking close, more closely with God in his life. And God said, now look, look towards the heaven and tell the stars if they'll be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So Abraham's seed, he's told before his seed would be like the dust of the earth. Now he's told his seed would be like the stars of the heaven. So it's going to be a heavenly seed, a spiritual aspect, a multitude, a great multitude, a, a spiritual nation, but it's going to be a great nation nevertheless, but a spiritual nation, a heavenly seed. And on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So that's from the Nile, you can see on the map there, right through the Euphrates, was promised to Abram and to his seed for an everlasting possession. Now Abraham never inherited, he has to be raised from the grave to inherit that promise. And the seed of Abraham will come to see who the seed of Abraham really is. It's interesting that the Jewish flag has got two blue balls, two blue ribbons on it. I heard a Rabbi speaking, and he said the two ribbons represent on the Jewish flag, one represents the river of Egypt, the other represents the Euphrates River, and all the land in between belongs to the Israelitish nation. That is the land that God promised to Abraham, he said. So the Jewish people believe that, and that's what God had promised to those people, that they would inherit that land for an everlasting possession. There were conditions, but God did promise that land to them. So Abram comes down to Hebron again. He's now 99 years of age. God had promised all this to him. He's got no children, no cedars of yet. And his name was changed here now in Genesis chapter 17 to Abram. And so he says in Genesis chapter 7 to Abram, Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee and I'll make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I'll establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, and I'll give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God had promised now that they would be a great nation and that they would be kings would come out of this sea. And what kings, when that expression is used in the scriptures, it connects us because it's going to be a heavenly sea, a spiritual sea. It connects us with the words in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10, which we won't turn to, but it simply says, and we shall rule and reign Christ as kings and priests on the earth. So it is a God, it is promise about those who will be ruling with Christ, they will rule as kings and priests on the earth 
finds its roots right back here in the promises made to Abraham. He says, I shall, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Now it's not just limited. The promise is not just limited to the Jewish people because when he says a father of many nations, the word nations is the word goyim, which is the Hebrew word that applies to Gentile nations. So there's going to be many people in this nation that are going to be made up of Jews and of Gentiles and they're going to become kings. So it was a great promise. And they would be a God, they would be an Elohim, or as the word means, a mighty multitude of many nations. It's interesting that this was the fifth promise that was given to Abraham. The fifth promise. And when we come across to the New Testament, all these promises about Abraham being the father of many nations and his seed are all ratified by the Lord Jesus Christ, by, by the disciples, and by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes, writes in Romans chapter 4 of speaking of Abraham, it says that he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now that passage of scripture is saying there will be people who are uncircumcised who will be recipients of this promise also. And there are people who have the faith of Abraham. They walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham, who trust in God, who believe that God imputes righteousness to man on the conditions that God lays down. And that was imputed to Abraham before he was circumcised. The Jews made a big deal out of being circumcised that that was going to give them salvation. The Apostle Paul says, no, it doesn't. It's circumcision of the heart that was the important thing. It was following in the true faith of Abraham that was the thing that God wanted. And so he goes on to say, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that which is of the law, not only to that which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, Jew and Gentile, before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. He's made Abraham the father of this nation, and eventually Abraham can be raised and he will see this great blessing of all of this, these people, Jew and Gentile. Paul goes on to write to the Galatians, he says, that the scripture foreseeing that God will justify, the word means make right, righteify, righteify, make right, would justify the nations, or the word even means nation, would justify the nations through faith, preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of the faith of Abraham are blessed with faithful Abraham. So you don't have to be a direct descendant of Abraham to inherit the promises. You need to have the faith of Abraham to inherit the promises. <coughs> they will all be blessed. And so Peter said in Acts, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, and as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days, 
Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you away from his iniquities. Now I just want you to notice what the blessing is. It says all nations of the earth will be blessed in Abram and his seed. The blessing isn't some just nice feeling. The word blessing, as it says there, is turning every one of you away from his iniquities, is forgiveness of sins. That's the blessing that's come through Abraham and comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in the steps of Abraham, accepting the promises made to Abraham, brings with it, and all those things are understood, brings with it the great blessing that will fall upon all those Gentiles and Jews who accept this principle in the age soon to dawn on this earth. <coughs> so both Abraham and Christ were not just heirs of the land of Israel, they were heirs of the whole world because the promise involves all nations, father of many nations, not just the Jewish nation. So it's a great blessing for all nations. So Paul goes on to say that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham promised. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, brethren. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds of many, but as to one seed, and to thy seed which is Christ. The promises made to Abraham are channeled all the way down to one person, one seed to Jesus Christ. How can it be a multitude if it's just Jesus Christ? Well, Paul goes on to explain, <coughs> for as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. So baptism into Christ is essential to become heirs of that promise, to receive that blessing and the forgiveness of sins. It's essential to be baptised in the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us that Abram saw Christ's day and was glad. He understood what those New Testament scriptures would be saying, that one would come, there would be a seed that would come. And so when we look at Abram's name, we're told in Genesis chapter 17, God says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. But then in that same chapter, he says to Abraham's wife, Sarai, and God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. So husband and wife, their names were changed in that same chapter because they're both very significant people in this promise. Abram's name was changed from father of height to father of many nations, and Sarai, Sarai means a princess. She was a beautiful woman. She was just like a princess, but her name was changed to Sarah, which means the princess. She became the princess through whom this seed would come, the princess. And so when we look at the, the, the change of the name of Abraham, it's changed by adding the letters H-E, the letters H-E to Abram's name and to Sarah's name. Now that's the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
You can check that in Psalm 190 in your Bibles if you like later on. Thus, by the change of the name, they were reminded that the principle of grace is demonstrated in the covenant. Yahweh had made with the faithful pair, five being the number of grace in the scriptures. And the same principle is added to us. We are saved by the grace of God through baptism into Christ, and his name is named upon us, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the name change in scripture was quite significant and very important. Abram is mentioned 248 times in the Bible. Numerical now the number of Abram is 243. So each Hebrew letter's got a, a numerical number. A will have a will have a representation of a, have a number of a value. B will have a Beth will have a value. Gimel will have a value, and that adds up to 243 for Abram. But when his name is changed and HG is added, that's just five. That's five. That has a numerical value of five. It comes to 248, the number of times that Abraham's name is mentioned in the Bible. Just an interesting diversion, but just one of those little keys to show us how, how true the scriptures are. And so the Hebrew letter E means window or light. And so the light of God's word was now going to shine through Abraham and through Sarah that the nations of the world might be saved. And so here was Abraham. All that happened, he was 99 years of age, and Sarah nine years younger. And I Sarah was said, God had said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her, yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Now obviously it's not going to happen naturally, he's 99, she's a woman of 90, they're going to have children, the son Isaac was born was a special son, divine intervention. He was the son of promise eventually through whom the Lord Jesus Christ would come. But for Sarai, she's quite significant in the scriptures. And so she was associated with her husband and the great blessings of the covenant, and her name was changed. And the scriptures say that kings of people shall be of her, as it says that kings would come of Abraham. And Paul uses the expression that she typifies Jerusalem that is above. She is referred to in scripture typically as the mother of us all. And so she was not to be the princess. She was to be the princess, not only because she was the ancestress of a great nation, literally, but also of many nations spiritually. And so the line of this king is descended from Sarah, terminated in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacramental name, now a sacramental name is a name that God gives somebody. God gave the name Abraham to Abram, that's sacramental, and he gave the name Sarah to Sarai, that's a sacramental name. The sacramental name of Sarah teaches us, or symbolises the spiritual seed, the whole multitude of the saints of all nations who are to be kings and priests in the kingdom of God. There's a little book called The Women of the Bible, and Locker is the author of that book. He says about, writing about Sarah, he says, she exhibited the traits of a princess, wielding a scepter by the magic of which she could lord it over men's hearts after her own will, even bring kings to her feet, and she did. She, two kings were, were overcome by her beauty and desired her, and Abraham got into trouble over that. 
And so he goes on to say, if she came into the world with a will of her own as her dowry, nature further assisted her in developing it by a great beauty of her face and the grace of her stature. By these gifts she made her wish a command and disarmed opposition. Both in bearing and in character she illustrated the significance of her name. He goes on to say, through the long, long years of the quiet and steadfast devotion of Abraham to Sarah, peace reigned in the matrimonial tent, more because of Abraham's gentleness, kindness and forbearance, even though he lived so long with the more expressive and possessive ways of Sarah, as we have seen when we look at Sarah's character a bit in the scriptures. But we're told <coughs> in Hebrews that through faith Sarah also received strength to conceive when she was past age and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful <coughs> who had promised. She believed God even at that stage in her life that God was able to bring it to pass. Or the passage in Peter says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now Sarah obeyed Abraham, she called him Lord in her heart. She didn't come out to Abraham and say, you are my Lord, Abraham. She, in her heart, the scriptures are telling us that, that she called him Lord, she respected him, she honoured him in his position. And he says that to all the sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid of any amazement or any wonderment, as the word means. So all that happened, 99 years, I remember, and that promise was made about a son. But then Ishmael was born. And God made promises, and Ishmael was not born to Sarah, but Ishmael was born to Hagar because the time had gone, nothing had happened, and so Sarah said, well, you better have my fine maiden, Hagar, Abraham, and the son Ishmael was born to Abraham. Now Ishmael became the father of many of the uh, Arabian nations, many of the Arab nations, but the scriptures say of Ishmael, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I'll make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at the set time in the next year. So even though there were promises that related to those Arab nations, who one of the, were one of the descendants through the sons of Eva, the covenant of promise about salvation, forgiveness of sins, inheriting the land forever, the land of Israel, is a promise of a covenant belongs to Isaac and his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, when Abraham was 115 years of age, he was asked, and Isaac had been born, he was now asked to take this young boy out, about 15 years of age, 14 years of age, and to offer him as a sacrifice, which Abraham was prepared to do, because he trusted that in some way that God would continue to uphold his promise, Isaac would be resurrected. There would be some way that Abraham trusted God. And because he was prepared to offer his son, God said to Abraham, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the heavenly seed. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, there will be a natural seed. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, have control of the city, of course, the great seed that did that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was able to control the gate of his own mind and control sin 
that it would not enter into his life and operate and destroy his life. He possessed the gate of all men's enemies. And the seed of Abraham would be able to possess and eventually will possess the gate of their enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because Abraham, you have obeyed my voice and that's called the unconditional promise. And because Abraham was that faithful man, he continued as a stranger and a sojourner in that land. Nowhere to go. God had promised him the land, but he didn't own any. But he only owned a plot of land to bury his family in. And we're going to come now to that plot of land, which is found in the cave of Machpelah, which means double portion or the cave of the firstborn. Now Machpelah, I don't know whether you can see it on the map, Machpelah is in a place called Hebron, a little red balloon is. And in that cave that Abraham bought, to bury his family in, he buried Isaac, he buried Sarah, he buried Rebekah, Abraham is buried there, and Leah is buried there. And of course in the Hebrew, those letters mean Israel. Israel, and it still is in the grave, even national Israel has yet, according to Ezekiel chapter 37, is yet to be resurrected and those dry bones are to be restored and to accept the covenants and promise that were made to their fathers. And so in this grave lies these people who were really the very heart of Israel. Now Caleb, a man who grew faithful at the time of the Exodus, who was a Gentile, he was assigned when the children of Israel came into the land of promise after Abraham, nearly 500 years after the time, 480 years after the time of Abraham, came into the land of promise and he was assigned the land, the territory of Hebron, where the cave of Machpelah was. And Hebron means fellowship and association. And it speaks to us of the great fellowship of Jew and Gentile when Yahweh makes up his firstborn when the memorial graves are open. So when the graves are open from the time of Adam right through to those who have died this last week, the graves will be open, they'll all come forth and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth. So those that are found worthy will be reunited. And they will be Jews and they will be spiritual Jews. And they will be Jews and Gentiles who will make up that great body and who will be in fellowship with one another, as is depicted with this incident here in the cave of Machpelah. And that brings us right down to what's happening today. Gloria just said to me before we started this talk, she said, well, who would know about Abraham? The people have been watching the news, they would have heard maybe a couple of months ago something about the Abraham Accord. Now what's the Abraham? Well, the Abraham Accord is all about a deal actually made by Trump's son, Jared Kushner, uh, to get the Arab nations together, and Israel. But they've called it the Abraham Accord. And of course, it is significant that these peoples, you can see on the map there, the mainly the Arab peoples, the, the people in the lighter blue and the grey countries, Saudi Arabia will eventually, we believe, join, and they will become part of the Abraham Accord as it's called today. It doesn't mean they accept the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, but what it does mean that they fulfill Bible prophecy, that you're going to have there a block of nations who will be sympathetic, Arab nations, sympathetic to the Jewish peoples and working with the Jewish peoples at the time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth, 
He will fulfill those promises made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And if we're baptised into the Lord Jesus Christ, baptised into the principles of the covenant, understand the principles of the atoning work and the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be with them on that day to execute God's judgments and bring about the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. So what have we seen in our little Abraham journey this afternoon? Well, Yahweh, God chose Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees. It was a time when the nations were being developed in the world, but God had another plan. He was preparing for a special nation, and that special nation has not yet been developed. It's been, been planned, it's been uh, slowly developed down through 6,000 years of time, but there will come a time when this great nation will come, and it will be the nation that has come that was promised to Abraham, and in that nation will all the peoples of the earth be blessed. So Abraham's promise of becoming a great nation that would be as the dust of the earth and that would be as the stars of heaven. There was a specific land that was promised, which the Jewish people still don't control, not all that territory. We've got Paul's citation in the New Testament of Abraham's faith. We've got Abraham and Sarai, the change of their names, and the unconditional promise of Genesis chapter 22 that God will fulfill his promise and the bodies lying in the cave of the field that are going to come forth at the very beginning of Abraham and the Abraham Accord. So what we're seeing is the, is the very wonderful journey of Abraham, a man who was called in Ur of the Chaldees, but a man who did fear God, and God looked to him and revealed his promise to him and said, I will work with this man if this man will walk with me. And because of that, because of the response of Abraham, we are blessed today, and God willing, we will be blessed in the future. And the kingdom of God is established, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will again be the kingdom of God.